What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan with my co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, release the Snyder Cut. Is it happening, dog? Is it coming? Zach's it, baby? Is it, it real? It might be. And that, that, that's the crazy thing. You know, it's two years since Justice League. And, uh, we're, uh, mm-hmm. Which is kind of crazy to think about. It's been two years since Justice League. But... Um, we're moving towards potentially a Snyder Cut. But you know what is dropping for sure? Nostalgia Pod. And if you want to make sure you get the podcast any way that you want to listen to it, go to SoundCloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod. Give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And uh, lastly, follow us on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, uh, YouTube.com slash Nostalgia Pod. Okay, so Dave, explain to me this development in the Snyder Cut. Because I thought, I thought this was dead a while ago. Well, that's the thing. It's like, is it a real development? Like, this whole fanfare was trending on Sunday afternoon. Sixty, no, six hundred thousand tweets. Like, a lot of uh, fanfare based off of Gal Gadot and Ben Affleck and uh, Ray Fisher all tweeting out the tag with like an image, and like that's that's all that's all we have. And now everyone seems to be hoping that. Uh, Warner's gonna use the Snyder Cut as like an HBO Max launch title, get people to sign up thing. Which, if, if that was the case, I think it actually is probably the best avenue avenue to do it. You know, I know um, the Snyder Cut evangelists have long said that if you had released some kind of Snyder Cut Blu-ray, it would sell really well. But I mean, I think the business people would definitely love to use it for HBO Max. But the question remains: Is it real? And it seems like it is real in a certain sense. Zack Slander has basically said as much, but is it finished? Like the effects aren't done on this cut as far as we know. So that would require Warner to actually invest more money in justice. Like a movie that remember ballooned to what, like $300 million in cost due to all those reshoots that Josh Whedon oversaw. So it's a very interesting situation, but ultimately I don't know if we actually know anything new that like we can actually verify at this time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, you see Gal Gadot and um, Ben Affleck, Jason Momoa, all the stars from it, tweeting hashtag release the Snyder Cut. And it feels a bit uh, like capitalizing on a, you know, a, somewhat of like an internet meme, I guess, so to mm-hmm. speak. Um, but there, there might be more at play here. It's pretty interesting to to think about them just releasing a whole new version of this movie that had long been awaited and how that might um, might really change the perspective of how this movie is seen. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it would be cool, I think, if, if it was like, this is how we're kicking off HBO Max. Um, I just, I do not think that's what's going to happen. I think it was just more of like a marketing type ploy would be my guess, but we'll see. I mean, what, Wonder Woman's coming out next year, so. Yeah, and Birds uh, of Prey. This, this is a good time to start getting some interest back into uh these characters again as we start ramping up to see them on screen again so uh any last thoughts on the snyder cup before we hit some some music uh the hollywood reporter did note that there's quote no announcement of release of any such cut imminent per anonymous hbo max sources so who the hell knows how this uh really kicked off but i know the the snyder evangelists the quote you know the good ones that really just want to see that uh snyder vision in earnest, uh, probably gonna keep 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 wishing. Mm-hmm. Well, 
someone that we don't need to wish would come back anymore is tonight. The uh, DJ duo uh, com- comprised of uh, Hudson Mohawk, the Scottish producer, and Canadian producer Lunis. 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 Yeah. Uh, formed back in 2011, uh, dropped their self-titled debut album, or I guess it was an EP back in mm-hmm. 2012. And it really got a lot of attention um, in terms of how it uh, is seen as an influential album for EDM rap and how EDM is has been brought into more mainstream like hip hop and, and rap artist music and it's and then they just kind of disappeared again went back to doing their their own thing separately but then they popped back up with I'm gonna say that this album is called two it's I I but it's two mm-hmm. right so um, interesting because on their first album it was songs like goo or higher ground where higher ground banger yeah absolute banger and and you really can hear like how they were meshing this sound together that then became so popularized you know you can hear all the little like the the beats the uh the flourishes with synths and things like that and then this seems like a another left turn like th- this feels like these guys are just kind of like messing with e- with each other and, and messing with <laughs> the listener and just kind of making right. like the most absurd crazy things they can um what did you think of tonight's second album too yeah i mean as you said they they kicked off the or really i guess started the trap wave that really took over edm like the middle of this decade and then they just left they stopped doing it and then everyone else followed suit, and then that wave kind of fizzled out. Like trap is still obviously the you know middle for for rap these days, but in the EDM sense, they've kind of moved past that, right? Um, more towards the sound of like a Kygo or the Chainsmokers or Marshmallow, right? That's certainly not what Tonight and Flosterdamus and Arlo Grime were doing five years ago. Mm-hmm. And having not heard new Tonight in so long getting this new EP and hearing like the first single like Dallas and it's like like Christ like it's it actually sounded really refreshing to me just because it, it's it's really it feels genuinely like in left field and like not copycat the way everyone uh, rode their wave once they really kicked it off so I thought it was really really cool and like like I don't know how much of this music I want to like run back all the time just because again it's so absurd like the production mm-hmm. is so layered and and just really wild. And that seems to be the goal. Um, yeah. So I think this is kind of what you'd expect from them. It's just more of Hudmo and Lunas making these absurd beats and just daring you to blow your speakers out. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And you can almost hear them like, like laughing along with each track and like how absurd it is. And if you, if you watch the, uh, the videos or, or the, the songs on YouTube, they have this, um <laughs> each each song they have themselves as like these like almost like creative player characters in the music videos just doing these like really weird things like one song i can't remember which one um it's like just like a close-up on their mouths with these like really mm-hmm. gnarly teeth like the tongues like clicking out it's like so weird and but just also kind of like funny and you're like this is so absurd like you said um I think there's a lot on here to like, and they seem to kind of go in a lot of different directions in this, which I think makes this album very interesting and unique. And you kind of hear that tonight, I think their, their self, their self-titled debut was a lot more 
samey than this album. This one, they kind of go in different directions. Um, like a song like, um, like First Body. That sounds like it could be off of like, like a Jai Paul song, only a little bit more oh, like mainstream, you know? And then you, you go to something like I'm in a hole and you can kind of hear that like transiness that, um, that kind of, you can see why Kanye like during, um, like Blood on the Leaves, uh, was, was looking for someone like them because they, they just, it's so unique and it takes so many like different little turns and flourishes. It's like so interesting to listen to. I agree. I don't think I'm going to run this back much, but, um, it's certainly a, a unique album and I'm glad I gave it a listen. Um, question for you, which, which song would you say is, is your favorite off this? Hard for me to pick. I think Dallas, which is funny because I wish there was more lyrics to it instead of just Dallas, Dallas, <laughs> Dallas, Dallas, but like the beat's so fucking awesome and weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, nothing's reaching the highs of higher ground, no. which like the moment I heard it, like went into like DJ rotation and never left. Like that, mm-hmm. that song's, you know, impeccable. Um, they don't have anything like that, but yeah, I mean, it's a short EP, seven year hiatus, right? Like I think it's mm-hmm. just a, just kind of a, like here's a taste guys you know low low, low stakes low ambition but genuine i appreciate that absolutely um check out tonight uh their album two and probably gonna put one or two of their songs on our nostalgia best of 2019 playlist so check that out as well dave give me the the download on this partisan fontaine fellow whose new album under eight id underrated i think that's how you say it yeah underrated <laughs> it's gotta be i mean they're, they're missing an r in there um un- underrated uh was not something that was on my radar but then kind of looking through like his credits this guy even though he hasn't dropped a project in what eight years not not um, supposed to be here it was eight years ago he has an official tape from 2015 that's the okay. last thing i so knew four of four years but yeah nothing in a long time um, um, he's been writing though a lot. Kanye, yeah. Cardi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can kind of hear that in this album. What did you think? Or give me, give me some more background on this guy. Yeah, he's he's Cardi B's muse, like mm. straight up. He has eleven of thirteen songs written, credits written on Evasion of Privacy. The only songs he doesn't have credit on are Drip and uh, Barty or Cardi. So mm-hmm. that means Bodak Yellow, I Like It, um, Ring, Best Life. Get up ten, I do all the big songs off Cardi's album. Cardi has credits on. He also has credits on uh, No Her No Limit feature, Money the song this year, the uh, Talkie Talkie with DJ Snake, the Ed Sheeran song from this summer. Uh, he he he's Cardi B's uh, go to. And before he started getting official credits, people long attributed him as being like her chief ghostwriter. She was always someone who acknowledge that she had help writing her raps and partisan fontaine has definitely been that guy but he also wrote co-wrote five of seven songs off yay last year from kanye so he really kind of rose up fast which is interesting because as you noted he hasn't uh done anything in a while solo and i mean i've known about him for a while because he's from newburgh new york right across the river from where i'm from so he's kind of like a local legend but definitely the biggest rapper to come out of hudson valley new york area easily um, but now he's signed with Atlantic Records and releasing his own music. Um, and like, I, you know, his first single off Atlantic was backing it up featuring Cardi, which came out last year. 
And that's, you know, one of the best, perhaps the best song with a Cardi feature like that. It's just a straight banger and it's on this album. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this was kind of just like a fun, like, like celebration of Parters and Fontaine album for me. And I think for a lot of people, just cause like, like, yeah, here's here, he made it. And now hopefully he's going to get some of his own shine. Cause he's clearly been like, you know, uh, make, doing his dues for a long time for other people. So uh, it's just, it's just cool to see. But what'd you think? Cause I mean, you, you hadn't really heard his music before. Yeah, I thought he was, uh, uh, you know, nothing really stood out and like blew me away, but th- there's a lot here to like, um, like Shea Butter immediately caught my ear. I, that that song just is old dirty bastard beat. Yeah. I mean, that, that catches your ear, but the way that he flows over it and just kind of makes it his own, I thought it was really impressive. I liked Peach a lot um, with City Girls. I thought that song mm-hmm. stood out too. Um the thing is, I feel like a lot of what we like, nothing made him particularly unique to me. I think in this, and mm-hmm. I agree. We 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 review a lot of rap, and I think especially in a year where I mean, there's so much quality. Um, so many like rising stars this year in rap, and it, it say that every year. But you think about someone like the baby, who we were texting this weekend about his music video that mm-hmm. went with the Jabberwockies, and he just you know, there's so many people like that you know megan the stallion who are rising and then he you know partisan just kind of feels like he's he's there and he's making you know pretty good songs but nothing is really gonna nothing on this album is really propelling him forward in my mind yeah i think that's right i think like on a as a performer in his own he's not very special but he clearly has a a knack for song construction at least in today's rap landscape and you see that again with his own. He he's definitely seems to be at least a little more talented than, say, Quentin Miller, who, of course, mm. got famous for writing for Drake. But, like, Partisan can make and perform good songs on his own. Mm-hmm. He, he does that most of his album. But, yeah, you're right. I don't think it uh, stands, I think, super special. Like, he doesn't really have, like, a New York sound, really, either. Um, I know he's, he's been based in the city for a while, obviously, being around Cardi for so long. But, um, yeah, it just kind of sounds like normal, normal stuff. But, you know, I, I liked... Um, I like the not there yet the first track where he was kind of talking about being locally famous but not actually famous everywhere else and how that like changes like how his his approach to everything and I think there were some moments of interesting lyrics and he does doesn't have like the most typical rap story he's getting famous later in life I think he's almost thirty now but um yeah yeah I think it's just more like a it's kind of like I'm just just happy happy it's here kind mm. of project not something I'm gonna like celebrate on its own all that much. So I'm guessing Shea Butter's going to be the the track to the playlist, then. Yeah, that is that is the one I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dave has spoken, <laughs> and now we're going to talk about Baby Yoda. Spoilers, bro. Yeah, I, if you if you've been any bit online and you have somehow avoided Baby Yoda, I'd like tell to know me how. how. <laughs> yeah, tell me how because uh, pretty much after the Mandalorian dropped. This past Tuesday, and Baby Yoda was on that screen. Man. <sighs> Looks so uh, good the, too. <laughs> oh my god! It, first of all, um, I mean, we're, we're going to talk more about the Mandalorian, but um, I was just thinking how brilliant putting Yoda in this show was in terms of like it's November, kids are starting to make their Christmas lists. There's going to be so many Baby Yoda 
items sold over the next month and a mm. half. It's it's nuts how much money they probably made off this. That's an interesting point too, because usually we get like vague Star Wars movie spoilers from toys because the toys leak out in advance or Lego sets or something. Yep. I don't remember any Baby Yoda leaks happening. Come to think of it, mm-hmm. so good on them for keeping that under wraps. Because you're right, they're definitely coming. Oh, for sure they're coming. Um, but. We're talking about the Mandalorian, so why don't we break it down a little bit more? John Favreau's long-awaited Star Wars project, uh, starring Pedro Pascal as Pascal as the Mandalorian, is here, and it's really interesting because uh, the hype for this show was, I, I would say, incredibly high, and um, you know, Star Wars properties are highly scrutinized, and this felt like, you know, you had Favreau got the the viper here you know so it's like okay so this has this has all the pieces to be good and then the first episode drops and i I thought reactions were a bit more tempered than i expected i saw mostly positive but people saying yeah you know there's a lot here but i'm not sure if if i really loved the first episode and then the second episode drops on friday and i feel like that really cemented what this show could be um why don't we give like uh, general thoughts and we'll start digging in a little bit more to each episode and things that stood out yeah i think on the surface so this is obviously launching the the flagship launch title for disney plus which premiered last tuesday and being that it's centered on a, an anonymous mandalorian figure with that comes a lot of baggage notably boba fett who as everyone knows was a very famous and cult-like figure ever since he debuted in empire strikes back and you know, despite a character that most people would say is actually very overrated in a movie sense because he doesn't do a whole lot in the movies and he has a really shitty death and things like that. But Expanded Universe really fleshed him out. Obviously, we learned about his um, childhood. Maybe not everyone's super fan of that. Or did he die? Well, apparently he's in the background of one of these shots. I saw that. Man, that does not look like him. The colors are different. Like I, People are saying like in the back of that like Mandalorian like hold fast that Pedro goes to and it's like, no, it doesn't really look like him. Yeah, it's a little green. Like, what? We just watched 10 other Mandalorians. They all kind of look like Boba Fett. Like, it's it, that's stupid. But, um, yeah, Boba Fett does survive in the EU. So, um, would Boba no Fett come back in this show? We can talk about that another time. But this what this show needs to do, having the Mandalorian um, iconography in a mainstream sense like we've got mandalorians and clone wars and rebels and stuff mm-hmm. but you know not a lot of people watch that it's really for kids getting it now it's like what does this show need to accomplish or what what, what you know justify itself right and i think i think right away from the pilot you get that because we're getting that gritty underbelly of star wars that we always say we want mm-hmm. and you know anonymous characters anonymous locations and like cool things about Star Wars. Like in the first episode, we have a debate about currencies and stuff. And it's also a really effective way of telling you when the show is taking place. You find out that we're five years after Return of the Jedi. Empire is gone. Imperial credits, not surprisingly, have inflated and we don't, they don't have much value, right? Mm -hmm. Really, I think it was a really smart way to weave in Star Wars lore. That's interesting to, to fans, but also like puts the show in perspective in a subtle way. So I think overall, right from the start, the show just establishes itself as being what you hope it would be. Again, like just something an alternative 
take within the Star Wars universe in that sandbox that we've always wanted. And yes, this is still tangentially close to this, the original trilogy. There's still M- Imperial Remnant forces, right? So it's not all new. There's lots of familiar things, mm-hmm. which I think are welcome, right? You sure. see gong droids, you see Trandoshans, you see an IG droid, you see a Yoda species. Yeah. Like, like, but I think it's so, it, it's such like a warm feeling of being back and seeing familiar things while also being aware right away that it's a different kind of storytelling in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So I was immediately on board with the first episode. Yeah, they, they had a hard line to walk, right? You, uh, you want this to be something new and fresh while also having enough to, uh, give you that, that comforting feeling like you're back in, in the universes that have made this such a beloved IP. Um, and I think they, like you said, they did enough to kind of give you that sense and to bring that, that sense of comfort in while also this is shot like maybe one other Star Wars movie, which would be Rogue One. Um, and I guess maybe some, some shots in solo. Um, but it really has a, a Western feel and, and oh, yeah. it's, it's really, uh, it's a welcome change, I think, to, uh, what we've become familiar with, with the, the Skywalker saga to see something like this that, like you said, is so gritty, literally down in the mud in the second episode. I mean, he's, he's covered in, in filth and mud and, um, they have such a deep bench for this oh, cast. Yeah. Dude, Taika Waititi voices a character that's in there for half an episode, not even. And then he's mm-hmm. just gone. Um, I mean, Horatio Sands played... <laughs> so good. Yeah, just the, the, the guy in the beginning. Yep, the, the guy with the bounty on. And that that's it. It's like, okay, the, people just want to be a part of this. They got and, Nick Nolte to dress up as an Ugnaught. Shout out Empire Strikes Back. Like, what? He has but spoken. He has spoken. Um. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable like how how much potential the show has and we didn't even talk about Carl Weathers, you know, mm-hmm. shows up for one scene. Werner actually Herzog? a named character too. Yeah. Um Yeah, so the, Her- Herzog's so interesting, right? Because the whole time doing press, you know, he's done a lot of it press, but like everyone asks him, he's like, Yeah, I didn't feel any pressure because I didn't, I didn't know who John Favreau was. I haven't seen any of his movies. He's like, I've never watched Star Wars. It's like, wait, how the fuck did they get you in this? Thing? Yeah. First of all, it's a show. I don't even know if he's done even done a lot of TV. No. Um, you know, obviously the, the you know famous leader of German cinema for several mm-hmm. decades now also acts. He's the client, right? Immediately intriguing because he's so talented, but also having him represent this mysterious imperial presence several years after the empire has fallen and palpatine has gone away you know maybe he's still alive rise of skywalker we'll see but that's interesting right and there's also really cool easter eggs thrown out with this show that you don't need to pick up on but if you do pick up on them i think they just make it feel richer if you look on my screen uh the mandalorian's weapon that like electric blaster rifle he has is a direct callback to Star Wars Holiday Special, the infamous cartoon that came out, slash live actions, both. And the cartoon section was the debut of Boba Fett, and he had that very gun. Really cool. And then that um, scientist guy who's with Herzog, with the client, has Kamino in insignias on it. Shout out the prequels. So are they trying to clone Baby Yoda? I don't know. But either way, I think the show is giving people what they expect. And I haven't heard like a lot of like, like strong criticism. Like I saw some people saying it's like, 
well, you know, Mandalorians, they never take off their helmets, so it's hard for me to connect with a character who doesn't have, I don't see his face. And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, am I trying to connect with this dude? He's a, he's a killer, right? He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a bounty hunter. He kills people or captures people for money. Like, I, I'm here to see something different, right? And I think that's what we're getting. And there's still plenty of familiar things along the way. So, yeah, I just find the whole Enterprise incredibly exciting. I'm so happy it's this good. We haven't even seen Gina Carano's character yet. Right. And actually, that that critique you brought up was, is funny because I actually had a note written down that I think it's amazing how much Pedro Pascal is able to um, port, like give off emotionally while right, wearing sure. a, a mask. Like, there, somehow, like, the moment, and, and certainly there, there's flashbacks in this scene, but when he's getting the armor mitt before he heads out, mm. and, they're flashing back to the all best scar. Yeah, his his childhood and being you know, like ripped away from this like war torn area. Um, but like even just like the way it like zooms in on him, you kind of like get a sense of what's going on. Or in the the second episode when he's fighting that big, I don't know what it is, a horned beast, and mm-hmm. he you can tell he's about to die, and it like zooms in on his basically laser in the mud, and you're like, oh, you like you know exactly what's going on. It almost is like you don't yeah. actually need to see his face do that. Do you think we will see his face eventually? I'm going to say no. Maybe not this season. We know they're already filming season two right now. Um, just kind of like stealthily. Favreau put it on Instagram. It's like, oh, by the way, season two is on its way. So he doesn't die, guys, in case you were actually thinking that was possible. Um, I mean, I care more about Baby Yoda dies at this point. So, Yeah, Baby Yoda. Um, and shout out the nerds who like to clarify that it's not Yoda or Baby. Like, yeah, we know. Also we don't. We actually we don't know that. Well, those nerds also know that the Yoda species, famously, was never named or mm-hmm. allowed to be named in any kind of material. So it's just called Yoda species. There's no name of this. So therefore, calling it Baby Yoda is is accurate. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, introducing something of that magnitude, something that everybody who sees this show will immediately understand the gravity of. That is not something that I think. Favreau or Lucasfilm would do lightly and while I don't expect the show to directly influence Rise of Skywalker or the next movies or anything like that um, I feel that same way about the MCU shows to come on Disney Plus but it's going to amount to something and just immediately be able to create all this theorizing because of the magnitude of, of this introduction um, it's just not something I really considered at all. I did not expect anything like this to happen. No, you know? I mean, who who did with this show? It's it's not not that we wouldn't expect something to to be grabbing the zeitgeist for the show. I mean, it was a very highly anticipated show, like I said. But Yoda, I mean, a, a, one of the probably the most beloved characters, along with Chewie, and and, and yeah. certainly Yoda's uh, <laughs> Yoda's arc in the prequels uh is a bit um that leaves something to be desired like mm. like much of the prequels. hard to see the future is uh but i gotta say it's it's really uh it's funny to think about him skull uh scolding um anakin mm. for wanting to to fuck padme and then you know he's beating y- yandel's yeah. cheeks on the side uh just, i think it's just another yoda yoda's getting down with it man I, you don't think it's a clone that's the thing. It's like, I don't think he's a, a product of Yoda. Um, 50 years old, which is really cool. to be like, oh yeah, they do age really slowly. That makes a lot of sense. No wonder Yoda was 900. Now it all makes, it's a cool little 
nod, right? But like the timeline of that, like fifty years back, that's like that's like pre pre Clone Wars. So like I just I don't think Yoda at his more lucid times when the Jedi was still really healthy. I just don't think that would have happened. So I think it's just another Yoda alien. Although clone is interesting. And maybe maybe he was a clone that um was taken and that's why the client wants him back. Again, that cloner insignia on the scientist. Or maybe mm. it's just a new baby and they want to actually clone him. I think some the cloning obviously is gonna come in somehow. Which which side of it is who, who can say. But yeah, man, it's uh it's 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 fascinating. But through these two episodes, I gotta say, like the the it's it this is is this a new monocultural show? It's pretty close. Like people are watching the show week to week. Well, and um, that that pretty actually, close to when it comes out, right? Th- that's the thing. It brings up a really good point about and something we didn't touch on how successful Disney plus has been since its release, mm-hmm. uh, blowing away expectations of, of the Disney company, uh, over 10 million subscribers on the first day. Just like, it's absurd how, how much people are, are right. drawn to the Disney catalog. But I think the Mandalorian plays a big part in that. Primarily uh, just the U S too. Yeah. So, um, it, monocultural show, I think it's as close as we're going to get now. And, that's that that's fun you know we uh, there's a lot of people doing recaps reviews deep dives um it, it's worth it so if you haven't gotten disney plus and you're like on the fence and you like star wars you you have to get this um well, i wanted to ask you what is like the favorite bat your favorite battle scene so far like actions mm. there's a lot of sequences so far of fighting and things like that yeah yeah um i mean episode two in general i thought was really fun really refreshing that had a real like pulpy like comic book story feel boba fett obviously was very famous for being the subject of countless eu comics throughout the decades and lots of them were like really weird and strange and boba fett doing weird ass shit mm-hmm. and that just brought me back to that and of course it was cool to see jawas and the sand crawler again along the way um i really like that fight he has with the trandoshans and i believe the beginning mm-hmm. of the episode yeah, um, I like those prosthetics. That's cool. Definitely a nice update over uh, Bosk from Empire Strikes Back. I like that fight a lot. Um, yeah, it's just cool seeing him actually fight because he has the full um, grasp of what what the Mandalorian armor entails, like all those gadgets and weapons and things he has. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my go-to right now. But um, the actions looked good the whole time. I guess the Jawa uh, Sandcore chase scene yep. was really cool as well. So yeah, yeah. Jawas um, suck though, man. Yeah, uh, I thought they were really funny. Like the whole thing with the egg mm-hmm. too, and they just yeah. wanted to fucking eat the egg. Like, it's like dessert. It's like, hey, bring us like a cake, and yeah. we'll give you your shit back. <laughs> really funny. Yeah, yeah it, it reminds me of a comic book. It was it was just really good. I, there's nothing I can really say bad about it. I would say probably the action scene I liked the most was just with uh, uh, IG Eleven. I sure. mean, that whole like shoot that's was incredible unbelievable yeah and seeing ig11 be such a boss man uh acceptable that is acceptable uh <laughs> so good uh take a white shout out him uh any last thoughts before we move on uh well, i think undernoted so far ludwig Gorenson is doing the score for the show again so much talent involved so yeah i think it looks great too which uh it doesn't feel cheap no and Definitely. you know for years George Lucas always famously said, "Yeah, I have a hundred scripts for a TV show, but I just can't, I can't, can't make it right now. It's just not financially possible." And 
for, for years as when I was younger, I would just assumed live action Star Wars show just not can't do it. And it's kind of crazy that we're here, you know, and also it's good. So you, lo- you truly do love to see it. Truly do love to see it. Dave has spoken. Now <laughs> we're going to speak about something. I don't really know what to make sense of. Uh, not Ford versus Ferrari. Earthquake Bird. The Wash Westmoreland show or uh, movie on Netflix. <laughs> Whew, so I, I'm still trying to like wrap my head around it. Starring the Queen, Alicia Vikander. Mm-hmm. McQueen. Um, as Lucy Fly, a American who has moved to and integrated herself into Japanese culture. Is she American um, or is she English? Didn't hmm. she have her English accent in the movie? That's a good point. I guess she must have been Doesn't English. matter. Yeah. Uh, Expat. Yes, exactly. Uh, and she uh, she falls in love with, with Taichi, played by Naoki Kobayashi. Um, and quickly things start to go awry when Riley Keough's mm. Lily Bridges starts to bring her mysteriousness about. Uh, boy, um, yeah, Earthquake Bird. You know, you see Elisa Vikander in a starring role, and she's been pretty much excellent. I mean, I guess Tomb Raider, you're like, it's fine. It was what it was. But we, I think we both thought she was pretty good, Laura Croft. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So you go into this, you're thinking, okay, this movie has a lot, has, uh, has potential, you know, uh, Wash West, Westmoreland, known for Still Alice in 2014, probably his breakout film, and then Colette, which you reviewed last year on the pod, hit that subscribe button. Um, but boy, I was left confounded, confounded <laughs> with mm-hmm. this, this movie. Oh. Uh, you know, it, you had a really, interesting tweet or a really funny tweet about this like i think it was the alonzo morning gift right or was it no it was uh, yeah (laughs) because like the whole time it was like one a scene i'd be left i was like huh this is really intriguing and then i go to another scene i'd be like what the hell is going on here like this is terrible i was like oh actually you know what maybe not that bad um i guess before we get too far into it how, how are you feeling about this movie I mean, as as the tweet suggests, I was yeah. um, up and down throughout the runtime. You know, you watch it like, again. We're in the bag for Viking. I've liked her a long time. Obviously, broke out several years ago. Dual role, du- the amazing year, Ex Machina, and then winning Kylie Moore for Best Supporting Actress for The Danish Girl, mm-hmm. and then parlaying all that fame into other fun roles like Man from Uncle and Tomb Raider, as you said, and seeing her is a lead is just immediately compelling because we know how talented she is. And I think she's quite good in the movie. Um, and she actually has a lot to do with it as her character uh, starts to lose grips with the reality in a certain sense, or at least that's how it's presented to us. Again, the movie is told in a nonlinear fashion is quite confusing. Um, and then as you're watching it towards the end, you realize that like the plot was not really the point of the story the whole time. Yet I feel like everyone who watches it is really like focused on the plot in the beginning. So you just kind of feel like you're just not like in sync with what the, where the movie wants you to be when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it looks awesome. There's yeah. great cinematography, cool ass settings in Japan, like it's beautiful scenes, lots of different stuff. Vikander has tons of great fits. Like the mm-hmm. costume design is awesome. And I actually like that she's not being propped up as the uh, 
foreigner in Japan because Japan is a tropey ass place to experience foreignness, right? No, she's actually someone who speaks fluent Japanese. Just, you know, assimilated into Japanese culture. She's running from things. And that's a kind of refreshing take of having a white people's story in Japan. Yet that story is it was really hard to grasp. <laughs> and like it, it, it's just, it's just odd, you know? Yeah, and you know, you, you know that she has some some something mysterious about her, something that she's like hiding throughout the whole movie, but you're not even really given like breadcrumbs uh, or like barely breadcrumbs throughout the film until at the very end when it's all explained, like mm-hmm. pretty much in depth. And it feels like, like you said, there's so many nice parts, like parts of this remind me of, uh, at least in coloring and the way it's shot, remind me a bit of um, Blade Runner 2049. Sure. You know, like the the coloring, like especially when they're out, like out at the nightclubs, or if they're in the mood, mood the, lighting, yes, or if they're in the uh, the what's it called production room for the photos or whatever it is, mm-hmm. film room, um, really beautiful. And then other times you're just kind of like, <laughs> man, I don't even I don't even know what they're going for in some of these scenes. Like I am left so confused as to what was actually happening in the scene with uh, Lily and Lucy when they're they're sleeping on the bed next to each other and they have the the conversation during the earthquake and then Lily just doesn't remember it's like I don't know what I'm supposed to believe with that and then maybe it's supposed to leave the the viewer with this sense of like you don't know if Lucy's experience is, is a, a narrator that could be reliable at this point but at the same time it's like uh it leaves me confused as to what I think it was really trying to say in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, if the plot is leaving me confused and, and the point of the movie is leaving me confused, I feel like there's something being lost here that maybe isn't just me. But did you have that same experience? Yeah. Yeah. And I was just putting it on my, my year, my the list of everything I've seen this year. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of things I like, I like about this movie yet. There's these other movies that have way less ambition, like say, Men in Black International or something mm-hmm. <laughs> that actually I think just work way better for what they're going for, you yeah. know. And you, you kind of had a sense that Earthquake Bird wasn't to the level of Marriage Story, The Two Popes, Irishman, yeah. even The King. When Netflix started to stop promoting it, um, very tepid vessel of reception. But you, you can even look on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of the top critics haven't really reviewed this movie, mm-hmm. so it just seems like Netflix just kind of rushed it out the door at the end because they understood that it didn't quite come together. But, you know, they were definitely trying to accomplish a lot of stuff. So like you can respect that, but ultimately it doesn't, didn't really pan out that well. Um, I like the acting, although Riley Keough's character, I found really off putting from the start. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's kind of the point, but she's really good. She's, I loved her in Logan Lucky. She's good in general. Um, how did you feel about Naoki Kobayashi? As a Teiji? Yeah. Yeah, he's good. I liked him. It's his first, he's, like, real acting role. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely his first English role, right. too. Um, yeah, I thought he was, he was awesome. Like, him, his scenes with Vikander, even if thematically I still can't really grasp what they were going for at times, those are good. Like, the, those performances, I actually like the chemistry, uh, the mm-hmm. mystery, the, the aura that he was kind of had around him, I think was effective. Um, yeah, but yeah, man. Um, 
for a movie about a bunch of gaijin in Japan. It's uh, it wasn't what I expected. I hadn't watched the trailer. I didn't know anything about the movie going in beyond it's a movie with Vikander. I'm gonna watch it, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to recommend, but again, it's nice to look at, right? <laughs> It is nice to look at, for sure. And by candor, of course, it's nice to look at as well. So, uh, worst, worst ways, I think, to spend two hours. Um, More nudity than expected, lo- also. Yeah. Um, didn't know that was coming. Did not, did not expect that. But I really liked the scene. Uh, the scenes like in the, where they were doing like karaoke or the, the mm. nightclub scene or the, well, the, the band scene, I guess, the concert scene. I thought those were really interesting and the way that they like built tension in that. And when Vikander got to stop being such a, uh, I don't know, muted character, mm-hmm. you know, like when, when she finally like freaks out on, on Lily and Teji uh, on mm-hmm. that retreat, I was like, all right, like this is why I, I want to see more of this. But then pretty much the rest of it was like very muted. So, yeah, I, I did have one critique that I just noticed when they're going on that hike. And Vikander like springs or ankle or whatever, and like I look down, and I'm like, man, those shoes were not even tied; <laughs> they were hella loose. And then, uh, Radakio, who's a nurse apparently in the sh- in the, in the story, takes the shoe off right away, no. as if that's good for the swelling when you fuck up your ankle. What the fuck? <laughs> like that immediately like raised my eyebrows. I was like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. And that says something for a movie that's quite confusing. This movie is horseshit. Um, <laughs> yeah, Earthquake Bird. If you wanna, if you wanna check it out, go for it. Let us know what you think. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be either one of our best of lists for this year, no. but I'm interested to see if Ford versus Ferrari will be on yours, Dave. Uh, James Mangold, you know, known for Logan, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, at the helm here, and damn right. You got Matt Damon playing Carol Shelby. Yeah, Christian Bale's Ken Miles. And then a pretty solid back cast here, you know. John Bernthal, Tracy Letts, Josh Lucas kind of getting to be the, the, the bad in this, so to speak. That motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. John John Bernthal came to be uh, sexy Lee Iacocca. Shout out yeah. to Ryan. Quite the glow up for Iacocca yeah. if you look up what he looked like. <laughs> uh yeah, so Ford versus Ferrari. It's it's a long movie. It's like two hours twenty minutes. Uh, you know, uh, I'm surprised they didn't want to go the Irishman route and just go all all three hours and really <laughs> really do it. But what did what did you think? It's at ninety percent Rotten Tomatoes. Is that that fair? Oh, I love this movie. Ooh, I thought it was fucking thrilling the whole time, and I thought it was incredibly enjoyable. And the meta conversation around is really refreshing too because this is a old school more traditional adult drama that actually got support at the box office and it yeah i was thrilled with it what did you think i was actually left a little bit disappointed i think and that and that might be my expectations for this movie going in were incredibly high uh, i thought it was still very good and but this felt like a movie that was made to be put to be shown on like amc or tbs um for basically the rest of time like mm-hmm. It has enough. It's it's Dad comforting. Court. Yeah, exactly. It's comforting enough where you're like, there's nothing too inoffensive about this movie. Nothing that's really making me like like challenging me. And then the moments right. that grip you really grip you. And it's like this is a perfect movie to like put on, be doing chores, you know, bouncing your grandkids on your lap, and 
tuning in every once every once in a while to watch a cool racing scene or see Matt Damon and Christian Bale wrestling around, you know, being good old boys back in the fifties and sixties. Um sixties. Um yeah, so I, I think I was left feeling like maybe I went in expecting a little bit more from this, but still overall really well made, beautifully shot. The the driving scenes, which I, I don't really care much about driving. Who cares? But driving scenes actually really got me and were very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, overall, still very good. Just probably not uh, as good as I thought it was going to be. Uh, yeah. I think the important thing to know with those driving scenes is, yeah, as you said, they're incredibly visceral and thrilling to watch. They look awesome. And that's really where, that's why this movie was a $100 million movie. That's, that's why the driving scenes mm-hmm. look great because they assume cost a lot. But they're effective and thrilling in the movie, even if you don't know anything about any kind of car racing. And that's, that's really, I think, easier said than done. Like, heck, there's a, there's a NASCAR scene, right? He wins Daytona, uh, Miles, in the middle of the movie. And NASCAR, if anything, is probably the least accessible of all racing to people because it's like the least thrilling to the average person. Just drive left for four hours, right? But I think that that's what you really can't stress enough that the action in the movie is really effective and well done. But you're right. I think overall, like the beats, the storytelling of this movie, these are all moves we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you're seeing them all done really well. Yeah. So if you're looking for this to break the wheel, it's not really doing that, uh, at least not in the overt ways. But you know, this movie is called Le Mans 66 overseas it's because, you know, Europeans know about Le Mans more than stupid Americans. Um, me and you do not know anything about this story going in, which I yeah. thought was a, a benefit to watching the movie the first time. Mm-hmm. So that really didn't know it was coming. But calling the movie in the States Ford versus Ferrari sets up this like false narrative about yeah. Ferrari being the bad people and the antagonists of the movie. And the movie starts you off with this uh, failed attempt by Ford to buy Ferrari and then getting undercut by Fiat, which is basically said that that was Ferrari's plan all along. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. I think a really good way to start off the movie. That's where most of Iacocca's scenes are. And the more you watch the movie, you realize that it's really more about artistry versus corporate overlords and mm-hmm. beating the bureaucracy and, and how you know mm-hmm. Shelby and Ferrari were two sides of the same coin in the end. Right. And yeah, then of course the bond between Shelby and Miles along the way and trying to uh, juggle the two masters they're serving there, their own integrity and working for Ford. Um, I really like that a lot. I like how that flipped on their heads. Maybe that's not as a surprising twist on the story for people that know the story of this Le Mans race mm-hmm. um, more familiar, but yeah, I uh, I really like the structure of all of it and just found the plot really thrilling. And it's also a nice, again, we've seen this before, but this is movie stars being movie stars. And Damon, you know, with with the twang this time around, yep. one of my f- most favorite Damon roles in quite some time. Um, I just got Shelby. I thought he was really good. Mm-hmm. And then Bale. I mean, obviously, we've talked about Bale a lot recently, but, you know, this is Bale. He didn't have to get fucking really fat to play Dick Cheney this time. He just got to speak in his native accent for once and just kind of chew scenery. And when it's someone as good as Christian Bale, it's uh, really fun to watch. 
So. Oh, come on. Him, like, <laughs> doing the commentary in the cars is really funny. Here we go, chap. <laughs> Get there, girl. Get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think it was nice, uh, to see Christian Bale just kind of like basically be a, maybe a tamer version of himself, uh, from <laughs> kind of some of the famous outbursts we know from, uh, I think like the, uh, Terminator set. So it was, uh, it was a very right. famous one. Well, that's but, funny because Miles is not a tame character in the movie. Right. Um, he, and, he, and he's not, but I think, uh, for who Bale is and who Miles is portrayed as in this movie is a bit tamer. But really, I think where this this film takes off is when that Shelby-Miles relationship really develops, you know? You, and you kind of see that from the, the beginning with the, the scene where Miles wins that, like, smaller race, but at the beginning he almost couldn't race because of the, the trunk issue and um, right. how him and Shelby <laughs> kind of, like, bond around that. And then seeing Shelby get uh tagged to be the leader of this of Ford's goal to win the Lama race. But um as they as they start to have the moments, like when Shelby has to tell him that he can't go to Lama in the first year. Um uh I, I think those sort of moments really set things up. And it actually brings me to I think the only character that really was not utilized correctly. I know where you're going with this. Yep. Molly Miles, played by Catriona Balfi. Um, you know, I, she, the scene she was in, I thought she was really good, but I felt like she basically just was a, uh, a tool to humanize Miles a bit to kind of bring him down to earth a little Explain bit. Explain the wife. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. um, th- this is a, uh, this is a guy's movie. Um, and, uh, really the, f- the only female character in it gets very, very little time to do right. much else. Yeah, you know, on one hand, that scene where um, she's driving the family car and they're right. driving really recklessly as she's yelling at Ken and asking him to stop lying and being upfront about what he's doing and stuff. I actually like the idea of that scene because it's actually showing like more agency for her character and actually being invested in the story as opposed to just being a supportive wife. But you almost undercut it in a certain sense by having her do something obnoxiously reckless right. to express the sentiment, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like you're halfway there in terms yeah, of and, delivering on that scene. And the funny part is it, it seems a bit out of character for her. I mean, she's certainly kooky uh, in ways, but like she sees her husband and his friend wrestling and she pulls a lawn chair out and watches or... You know, they, she tells him that the IRS came and instead of like freaking out on him, it's very like common level and saying like, you know, I don't want to lose the house. Like, what are we going to do? Um, then for her all of a sudden to be like driving recklessly like that, it's like, okay, I get that they're trying to like give her a little bit more power in the situation to feel like she's not just being dragged along through it. But it seems to almost not like undercut the message, like you said. Um, you know, it, it, and, to kind of go along with it, I was surprised to see Matt Damon take such a back seat in this role. You know, I mean, he really is like the, the Pippin to Bales Jordan in this movie, um, which I, I did not expect going in. How did you feel about that? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, you know, leading up to this, we were people initially were expecting that, you know, uh, Ward's uh, category fraud leading up to the Oscars, one of these guys will run in supporting. Uh, people seeing it, they're like, oh, it'll be so-and-so, that person will lead. 
And we find out they're both running as lead uh, mm-hmm. best actor. And I think they are truly both co-leads, but it almost seems like, I guess in the promo, I expected Damon to be more of the, the leader, but I think they're, they're truly are co-leads, but um, Shelby has no personal life in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's all about Ken's. And I guess the personal life for Shelby is more of his relationship with Ken. Yeah. So, it's yeah. funny if you, uh, I, th- I think they left that out intentionally. If you read anything about Carol Shelby, he's famously had many failed marriages. And I think mm-hmm. actually one of them was like came to fruition during this time. And then I think fizzles out pretty quickly if you read Wikipedia. So, Interesting. uh, uh, I think that was done to portray him in a certain light. Right. Um, Keep the movie more uh, cleaner, cleaner narrative. Exactly. Easier to tell. Makes sense. You know, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I think the uh, the second thing I liked most about this movie was just the the Shelby Miles versus the the higher ups at Ford, and especially how that that played out at Le Mans when like yeah, uh, you know they they told they told him to come in together, and Shelby was kind of like fighting against them and trying to figure out how he's going to do it. Um, I also just like seeing Shelby be like devious, like stealing the, the stopwatches and right. throwing like, like the lug nut in the ground to make him think something was wrong. That, that all that, that was really like nice, like touches right. to really add on to it. Josh Lucas was also perfect as this swarmy uh, dick in a suit. You know, he, he was um, really good at making you despise him. Yeah. And Josh Lucas is a, is an actor. I mean, you think back to what Sweet Home Alabama and like Post-sighted. he also was yeah like Glory Road wasn't he the the coach in that too? Like I feel like he's a actor that I thought was going to be playing so many more like leading man roles and he's kind of been subjected to these these supporting bad guy roles in t- at times now. Although it is nice to see John Bernthal not be put in that role for once. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You just kind of <laughs> wish you got more of him just because yeah. he's so likable. Uh, any other thoughts on Ford versus Ferrari? Is this gonna get a best picture? I think so. A nomination, yeah. Um, is this the first be... real genuine hit for Fox since it became under the Disney umbrella? Um, which I think is a good sign for adult dramas from Fox moving forward. Um, you know, thirty-one million opening. So, yeah, that that that's that's exciting. Is this going to be the uh, the Green Book of this year? No, no, no. Uh, this is not a top tier contender, you know. I mean, I think it's probably unlikely that Bale or Damon actually get a Best Actor nomination, especially now they're both running in the same same category. Um, An RA stack category, correct? With only so, two yeah, spots think, that are non Adam Driver. I think the I think in the early prognostication, I think the Green Book of this year is probably like Jojo Rabbit. I'd say, which hmm, again, interesting. In, I don't know if I, it's, it's totally at the level of Green Book in terms of that kind of sentiment, but that's where I'd lean right now. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Only November. Jojo Rabbit. Only November. That's true. And a lot of good movies coming up. We're going to wrap up there. And Dave, what should people be watching so that they can keep up with this for next week? There's early screenings of Knives Out nationwide come Friday. We will be talking about Knives Out next week. Very excited for Ryan Johnson's new film everyone loves it from the sound of that uh waves has uh, been is coming out for a while about that uh beautiful day in the neighborhood speaking of acting nominations tom hanks apparently great mr rogers frozen 2 is out if you love uh 
blockbuster movies for kids and adults alike. <laughs> um, and then music is actually interesting. We have the eighth album from Coldplay and the 14th album from Beck. So I don't know how excited you are for either of those, but they're coming. Very excited for both, honestly. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, I mean, I'm excited to see what Coldplay has in the Clocks store. 2.0 coming soon. I, I haven't hated the, uh, the singles from Coldplay. So, uh, back, mm. back I'm a little bit less excited for, but we, we know Beck's what we're like 49. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. It's going to be good, whatever it is. It's just like, is it going to be interesting? That's the question. Yeah. So. We'll be we'll be talking about that and more next week. So hit that subscribe button. Go to uh, Spotify and follow our nostalgia best of twenty nineteen playlist. And uh, follow Dave on Twitter at Martin Swagger as well as at Nostalgia Pod. Don't follow me. I'm not churning out that content the way that those two accounts are. But uh, we appreciate you. We'll, we'll see you next week. Yeah.